Hi everyone, I am Anu Patil, CEO and co-founder of Entangles Lab. You've surely heard the saying that data is the new oil. And this episode is a masterclass on how to profit from mining and processing of data. Entangles is a company that mines data from commercial vehicles and flags issues that once fixed can lead to significant cost savings for fleet operators. Just like an Apple Watch can show you data about your body and help you be fitter, Entangles helps vehicles to be fitter. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt interviews Anup Patil, the founder of Entangles, about his journey of building Entangles as a global SaaS business out of India. Stay tuned for insights on how to make gold out of data. So take me through your uh, career path, you know, like a quick summary of what got you to the door of becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, so I have done my uh, engineering and polymer sciences and uh, from MIT Pune. And then when I went on to do master's uh, in material science and engineering from Clemson University, South Carolina. Uh, and also applied for PhD uh, in uh, in. Uh, in carbon nanotube uh, based uh, analytics uh, in some of the top universities. Uh, But then uh, I got the taste of uh, IT world when I came back from US and started loving this entire field where you don't have to wait for uh, work on for five or six months to build a sample and then run a spectroscopy and see your samples have failed. Uh, So that's, that's what got me glued this field and then learned all the tricks and traits of software development and then started my first company uh, in uh, in product development. And now I, I'm here with a new fresh set of team members uh, building uh, IoT products uh, with, uh, with an interesting uh, flavor of how we are solving some of the most pressing problems in the mobility industry. Prior to Entangles, I was the co-founder uh, of two companies. One was Caspian Solutions uh, that we had uh, that we had founded back in 2006. Um, we ran that company for one and a half years, but we had some fundamental uh, or structural issues in terms of the way we had set up that company and uh, the kind of vision that we had set. We saw certain shortcomings in that company. What were you selling so, there? What was... It was a it, it was a services uh, uh, business where we were uh, doing product uh, services uh, for a travel company based out of uh, US. Uh, we saw that that there was no glory in it because all of us were of a product mindset. Uh, the co-founders that uh, that had got together, so we took a conscious decision that. Uh, we're not enjoying uh, building the product for somebody else or, you know, building something where uh, things just come to you as a set of instructions and uh, there is no application of mind as to what you should be doing. Hmm. So so with that, we took a conscious decision. We started and this was software company. services? It was purely software services. Okay. Okay. Uh, we ran that for one and a half years, mm-hmm. and then we uh, we clo- we shut the shop over there, and we started Tavisca Solutions, uh, primarily into product development, again in travel domain because that's what our expertise was. So, uh, so that was purely into product development, where we built the entire end-to-end product right from search to book, and then the fulfillment of uh, travel products. What, what uh, kind of product? Product for which industry? Like, I mean, travel is big, right? So, uh, so the first set of customers that we went uh, into was a multi-level marketing company, which allowed uh, 
uh, customers to have their own branded website of travel uh, travel bookings and anybody who did uh, travel bookings on the their brand website uh, would uh, can will get us uh, will get a commission so the way typically mlm uh, uh, product works so there is always a downline and then there is a tree so and the, the flow of commission is upstream so that is how the overall structure was then the second customer that we acquired a very large customer so, uh, when, just to understand this better so this would be like a an organization where once you become a member then you can do transactions like most mlm companies sell something so here what they were selling one of those things was travel bookings and uh, when people buy any of these travel products flights airlines uh, hotels whatever then uh, some commission goes to the upline yeah so pretty much you know you you'll have a person uh, mlm typically you've seen how aggressive uh, the, the entire community is so somebody will come and say you know what akshay you you can have akshaydatttravel.com as a as a website and let's say if i come to your platform or your travel uh, website and i do any booking you get a commission uh, as a part of your earning oh, out of that okay. uh, that travel product okay yeah got it okay very very interesting okay but you're obviously not scalable uh got it 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 wasn't so uh so then we acquired our second customer a large customer in loyalty redemption space uh so you and i use credit cards and every time uh, we swipe a card we get certain points and you can go back on to the the, the website and redeem those points so the, the proposition was that uh, you can redeem those points to do travel purchase uh and that was our second large customer uh so it 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 it's it was uh, uh we are serving servicing one of the largest loyalty redemption company in the world and they were doing billions of dollars of booking on our platform uh so that was a very interesting product we scaled the entire thing all the way to the last when i had left uh, teviska from the management role it was doing already north of two, uh, two to three billion dollars worth of booking that were happening on, wow. on, on that platform okay okay you know, so so that was that was the uh, the journey that we had as a uh, uh, activist solutions uh, and then entangles happened uh, and that's a very interesting story as to how we landed up doing entangles um, so activistka we are partying outside of uh, outside of pune uh, in one of the resorts and uh, it was evening uh, and i have two kids uh, so at that time my elder one uh, was 6 uh, year old and the younger one was just in the cradle so uh, uh, it was getting dark and we all were busy chit chatting with our friends uh, and suddenly my wife realized that my uh, elder son is nowhere to be found uh, and everybody realized that you know he's nowhere around so we all started running around uh, looking for him it took almost uh, 30 minutes uh, of uh, searching all across the resort one of the problem was that there was no network in that region so if you had to coordinate you had to come back to the, the center point and do the coordination and see if somebody found him after 30 minutes when we had completely given up and the uh, to, to frank you know those 30 minutes were really one of the worst times of my life you know uh, so all the bad thoughts that can come to your mind actually came uh we saw him coming walking towards us along with one of his friend and they were of uh, they are completely unaware as to how the entire world had turned upside down for us uh, they are enjoying it at one of the rooms they were playing on our, one of the ipads and they just walking towards us 
So that's where it hit me, the, uh, the idea is to let's start building something where I can start tracking my own kid. And I think that is the problem that uh, a lot of parents would be facing in terms of knowing where the kids are and uh, if, they are, uh, if they are where they should be at any given point of time. So, uh, so that's where I got hold of uh, Jayashree, uh, who I have been known for, uh, for some time, and she has she comes with a lot of uh, experience in the embedded systems program. Like I want to build a child tracker. She's like, uh, that's a child's play for me. I can do that fairly easily. So she started working on that. Uh, but as a, as a uh, philosophy that we always had, even in Tavisca and. Uh, at entangles as well, uh, we generally look aggressively in terms of if this is a market opportunity that we should be chasing. So we saw that uh, there are a lot of regulations and you're not allowed to carry gadgets in school and kids are not always with the bag. So you can't put that in the bag as well. So there was not, no market opportunity. But Jayashree being Jayashree extremely uh, fast in terms of getting things done, she had already built a child tracker. So, so it, it got quite interesting as like, she's like, I'm ready. And I was like, there's no market for the product that you're building. What so did it said, look like? Like something you can pin a, onto a child's clothes or something? Oh, or a... Yeah, it was, it was a tiny device. Uh, it had a footprint of, or a form factor of roughly around three centimeter by six centimeter. So it was fairly large. So we're thinking of a size of an eye card that generally employees wear uh, to office. So it will be plugged inside a, uh, it will be put inside uh, the uh, the hard uh, the eye card. That was the original idea. But then we realized kids while playing they'll keep the eye card aside or they'll put it in the bag and the bag and the kid are not together. So there are so many constraints. So the original purpose were getting lost. So so she's like, but I'm ready now. What do you do? So I said, uh, let's do one thing. Let's start. Uh, tracking vehicles if you can't do if you can't track uh, cars or if you can't track kids so so we went out in the market and we saw that uh, our device was costing around 5000 to 6000 rupees we used to keep one device on the table we did a 3d printing around the uh, as a casing uh, for the device just to give it a very fine finished look and we kept it on the table to one of the one of the fleet operators he's like your device is costly i have a device at 800 rupees I was like, how do you beat that market? Right. You are at like almost 7x or 8x costlier and you don't have a differentiation. So uh, so we did a thorough market analysis and we found that there is no market or a problem to be solved. Uh, and, uh, and then I met Neil. Uh, he, uh, so Neil was uh, just uh, moving out of uh, Tavisca, the previous company, because his company had acquired and he was looking for newer challenges. I told him, Neil, that uh, we have built a product, but I don't see a market for that product. So he's like, uh, you know, I have a junior from my college. He's from PICT Pune. Uh, he has done some interesting stuff of getting data from the vehicle scan bus. Uh, so I was like, I don't know what the data is. He's like, let's talk to him. So we got him on board. Uh, we started talking to him. He's, he started showing us a, a, a dongle that he was carrying along with him, which connects to the vehicle and used to fire some commands and get data out of the vehicle. So it's like, if you know, if you can how, get this data, we can see. It connected uh, wirelessly to the vehicle? No, it had an OBD port. So all, all modern vehicles um, mm. have something called as a 16-pin serial port connector. Typically, when you take your vehicle to service station, the, the service guy will connect a laptop okay. to that port to scan the vehicle. Okay. So we were also connecting to the same port and uh, collecting some data. And so, it gives what kind of data? Like fuel consumption and what like... <laughs> Oh, it's interesting. So uh, all, all modern vehicles have a lot of uh, onboard sensors. 
and uh, typically they are closed loop systems which essentially means that based on the feedback that is coming from the sensors ecu of the vehicle takes a decision in terms of your torque demand power demand uh, fuel inj injection so there are all these comes as a part of a feedback to the ecu and what is uh, ecu ecu is essentially the engine control unit uh, okay. that is that is making a decision so when you press an act pedal mm -hmm. the amount of power demand that is requested by the the depression of that act pedal is made that decision is made inside the ecu by a small microchip interesting so it's uh, you know we tend to think of uh, the engine responding directly to the pressure on the accelerator what you're saying that's not really the case the the pressure on the accelerator is one of the inputs which decides how the engine responds that's correct. That's why they call it fly-by-wire uh, uh, vehicles these days because they are not directly linked to the engine, but there is a sensor that is setting in uh, underneath your act pedal that is registering in terms of the act pedal depression, and that gets translated. And then there is additional parameter that comes in terms of in which particular gear you are driving, mm. then the kind of load that you have. So there are a host of other parameters that comes as an input to the ECU. And on the basis of that, you get a certain uh, feedback from the vehicle in terms of speed and acceleration of, of the vehicle. And what is fly-by-wire? So they are not directly connected, essentially. So it, okay. these are all uh, connected over sensors, and these sensors are essentially communicating with each other. So that's that's what essentially it means. Okay, okay. So there's no I, direct I, wire that is taking you all the way to the uh, to the in engine. Uh, I, I remember reading this term. Uh, I'm into photography, and there are some lens where you know you have to adjust the lens focal length, uh, and some of those uh, had this term that the focal length adjustment happens through a fly-by-wire system, which means essentially yeah. that it's not responding to the pressure of your hand, but there's a sensor which is deciding about the focal length. And Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So pretty much uh, all modern vehicles are operating in a, in a similar way. So we, we, we thought that, you know, this is a wonderful idea. Uh, let's let's build a solution where we will build monitoring of vehicles. Now that we have built a tracking, now we'll build a monitoring of a solution. Uh, we again started, uh, and this is uh, this is a core to the entangles. You know, we we question ourselves a lot in terms of are we building the solution for the masses and the right solution. So when we did that, uh, we started. Uh, pulling out sensors from our own vehicle. You know, that was a funny thing because there were no problems in the vehicle. So how do you create a problem? We started pulling the sensors from the vehicle. We used to take it to the to the service station to fix the problem. And uh, the service guys used to get completely bamboozled as to, they had never seen that kind of a problem coming from the vehicle. They're like, what are you guys doing with the car? We have never seen this kind of problem. It's like, take the money, don't ask questions. You know, you just fix the vehicle. So... It was quite funny. So every 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 week, our vehicle used to go to service station because just we're pulling the sensors. Finally, uh, you know, we had uh, uh, we had a solution, but the obvious question was there was no problem to be solved because we're creating the problem. It wasn't coming out. Uh, just uh, the problems were not happening by itself. So like there is no market. And one other thing we realized is that we don't like to be tracked. You know, as a free humor, uh, free willy guys, you know, you don't want somebody to tell you how to drive and where I where at what point of time or what your location is. Nobody likes to be tracked. You know, so, so again, we had the same question. There is no market uh, opportunity. And uh, accidentally, we ended up uh, plugging this device into one of a large 35-ton uh, tipper uh, truck, essentially, where we paid uh, some money to the driver just to say that, you know, we have an interesting piece of device. We want to see how it uh, works on a, uh, on a truck. He's like, yeah, here is my truck, take it and see what, what data you can get. 
And we found our first fault code without fiddling with the vehicle's instrumentation. And the fuel line was choked up. And it like, looks like there is some problem over here. But then, uh, of course, we thought by, that we... By this time, uh, your device would have been a device which can plug into that 16-pin uh, port and uh, transmit the, data. Was that what it was? It was uh, not really a very sophisticated tool. Mm. It was just a set of wires that were hanging out of our device. Mm. We used to literally plug in into each and every port manually. Mm. So there is always a, uh, the power and ground that is there. And then there is a data that is coming from two of the ports. So four wires were there. We knew which which ports, uh, which pins of the 16 pin would give a, were giving the data. So we used to actually, you know, uh, if you have, and you would have done that in uh, once in your life, you know, when you have a device which doesn't have an end plug, you took a you take a pencil and then put two wires into the plug. Yes, right. Pretty much, uh, you yes. can imagine similar kind of a thing that we have we had done. Okay. Okay. So okay. so we got that data. And it had uh, uh, some uh, like a sim or something like that to. No, no, no. We are just we're still collecting offline data, you okay. know. So just firing certain AT commands, as it is called as uh, in the world of collection, data collection. So we we fired some commands, saw how the the data looked like, copy that data, take it offline, then read it line by line, character by character. So there are so many uh, alpha alphanumeric characters that you get. Read and decipher those byte by byte, and then make a sense out of it as to what this data is the uh, data essentially means then take that data uh, to one of the service guys and say, you know, look, we found this fault. Can you tell us the significance of this fault as to how it is impacting the performance? And they're like, yeah, this vehicle uh, should have a performance dip of at least 25%. And then it's like, uh, how how is anybody not acting upon it? And we then took it to the, to the owner of uh, the the truck and is like do you know that you you're losing 40000 rupee based on current diesel prices and the number of kilometers you are running he's like i have no clue what you're talking about and that's why i realized that uh, this is a very interesting uh, area but we thought that we're lucky so it was just one truck and uh, this may not be a larger problem to solve we plugged into a second vehicle but one, one, saw one that. quick uh, uh, before you talk about the second vehicle so uh, the reason why you were removing sensors from your car was to figure out which sensor is giving what uh, string, like like what characters are coming from which sensor, just to track uh, and attribute. Like that was why you were... I, uh, exactly, yeah. So okay. if you so generally what happens is in the world of vehicle data, there are two kinds of things that are primarily uh, that are there. There are sensor data, which is talking about how all the sensors are working. And then the second world is one is called as fault code data. If at all there is any fault code, then there are separate set of strings that are thrown by the vehicle's ECU. So we wanted to capture those fault codes. Mm. And hence, we are, we are, we are uh, uh, pulling the sensors out of the vehicle so to the, generate those fault codes. Ah, okay. Okay, got it, got it. And how were you able to attribute which sensor is giving what string and stuff like that? Like, Is there some documentation available online or you had to like literally experiment and figure out which sensor we, gives what string? Initial days, we actually had to guess because when you're just reading the set of data, uh, the strings, they start repeating. Every character, they will essentially keep repeating. So you know that now this is how the performance is. But then when you pull the sensor, suddenly a new string appears in, in that. And you now know that this is this is essentially a fault code string that has started coming up. Hmm. So that's how we, we figured that out. 
but eventually when we we got deeper into it we figured out a sophisticated way of uh, yes, uh, analyzing the entire set of data but yeah initial days you're right it was by doing string comparison and what was the sophisticated way that you figured out Oh, there, there is. Then that's a close. That's where you recall to us. Uh, in fact, uh, we have reached to a level where we have two thousand powertrains. Now we have uh, we have a way to decipher, and we can plug in any vehicle uh, right now from uh, North America to Japan. You give us a vehicle, and we have our own way to decipher all these uh, structured and unstructured data that is there. We we have our own. mechanism that we have built yeah, even if it's uh, completely new like if you've never encountered that vehicle before even then you will be able oh, to decipher absolutely every month probably we are adding at any given point of time at least 20 to 25 unique new models onto our platform every month and something that you would have never heard of like uh, yutong king long you know the uh, like dragon and all all those kind of uh, you know south Asian brands that are there, they suddenly pop up, and then you you see that uh, they are not there on your platform. In fact, uh, with the regulations that are changing, it might happen that a, a platform is already there, but then there are regulatory changes that have come, and suddenly your your devices are no longer compatible, and you have to make it compatible by by understanding what are the changes that have happened at the OEM level, and change the data collection strategy. Even that also happens uh, with us. What uh, okay, this is something I want to understand better about the regulation. But uh, let's come back to the second truck. Yeah. So the second vehicle that we plugged in, uh, the RPM sensor had gone bad. Uh, again, the usual uh, uh, exercise. We took it to the service station. We asked him that uh, tell us how does it impact the performance. He's like uh, your, your uh, pickup of the vehicle will be will be hampered again. to fix it you just plug out the rpm sensor clean it with a clean cloth and just uh, plug it back in and then you're done it's like is that how simple it is he's like yeah that's how simple it is the problem to fix so so what we realized was that you know again uh, this was second truck and it had some performance issues although we couldn't quantify in terms of that at but that point of time how it was impacting the mileage of the vehicle but then of course that that was one of the problem then we plugged into the third truck which was an abs uh, fault So it's, a, it's an ABS fault, anti-brake locking system. So all all vehicles, modern vehicles, have ABS uh, uh, for effective braking of the vehicle. So so that is where we saw the the failure of ABS. Now with that as a thing, we realize you know th- there are a lot of problems. But again, as a part of challenging ourselves, we said probably these are older trucks and that's why they're facing problem. Let's plug it into a brand new truck and see how how the performance numbers look like or how how the overall data looks like. So we plugged into a vehicle, uh, and I'll not name the OEM, <laughs> but uh, we plugged into the vehicles uh, vehicle uh, which was parked in the yard of a dealership, wow. and it that also had a fault in it. And I was like, "What's happening over here?" You know. So we went to the to the dealership, and he said, "There's a truck parked in your backyard which is ready to be sold, uh, and there is a fault code in it." He's like, "Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it doesn't matter." I was like, "How does it doesn't matter? There's a fault in it." He's like, "I'll connect a laptop to it, clean the fault code, and sell the truck." I was like, "But you're selling a faulty truck." He's like, "Yeah, this is how this industry works. So don't worry about it. It's a minor fault code." So all all co-founders started looking at each other's faces, like, "What is he talking about?" You know. So we came out of that dealership. I was like, "Look, guys, I think there is a there is a problem in this industry, and 
we were looking we were doing a lot of reading and uh, it's a very well known fact in india the cost of logistics is significantly high it is around 13 to 14% of gdp you know now developed countries at around 7 to 8% and the guys i now know why the cost is so high you know look at the quality of vehicles that are there on the road you know and uh, the infrastructure can uh, is is getting is improving but uh, the quality of trucks is not improving and fleet operators are not going to make money uh, if the the quality of trucks is going to be this way so we have to build a solution where uh, we, they can just monitor and they will come to know that if at all there is a problem in the vehicle and they are losing money so that was the original premise uh, of starting um, entangles so if you see the journey you know so from trying to build a child tracker to vehicle tracking to monitoring system so that's how we reached here as to what we are doing and uh, somewhere in the middle we we got our first customer uh, which is a large fleet operator uh, bus uh, fleet operator based out of pune called as purple prasanna mobility solution and uh, we plugged in our device over there and we give them for free of cost uh, because that's what typically happens when you have no customer reference customers you end up giving devices for free so we give them one device for free and they, they would and be like office pickup drop something like that i guess so they were operating for uh, for uh, pune municipal corporation city buses okay um, so so they had a fixed route uh, and they had to complete certain number of trips at any given point of time in a given in a given day um and they had to finish the trip also in certain uh, certain duration and there, there were serious penalties uh, for that so so we plugged into one vehicle and because we had nothing to do and uh, we were uh, looking at data manually at that point of time uh, just after 3 4 days of plugging the uh, the device to the uh, to the bus we saw that the vehicle's engine was overheating were you so, able to do real time transmission of data by this stage Oh yeah, yeah. So that that was okay. that was happening. You you okay, made so it simulated your your device. We we added SIM because uh, as a child tracker that we had built, it already had a SIM card in it. Right. The only sophistication that didn't exist was just a plug and play device. So here also we had multiple wires that were going inside the OBD port, and then we had taped it to the to the port so that it doesn't fall off. And the device was just sitting over there in a crude form and sending data. Uh, and uh, we saw that one day it fired a engine overheating alert uh, it didn't fire an alert but we saw that the graphs were showing certain anomaly and we called uh, the gm of maintenance uh, and we said that your bus is overheating he's like okay and he called the driver the driver said there is no problem in the the bus the bus is running fine so he called us and he like uh, your de- your device is uh, uh, is giving you all the wrong data go and fix your problem stop troubling me and fair enough in just one device uh, the chances of you going wrong are significantly high so we got back to work after one hour we got a call from him is like i want to talk to you guys is like okay so we went to his office is like you need to tell me how did you find that uh, the bus was overheating we said sir here is the graph it clearly shows that at high engine load uh, your bus is uh, the temperatures are off the chart is like look uh, uh, after we spoke after uh, one hour after that the bus broke down on the road we created a huge traffic jam uh, and i had to pay a penalty of 5000 rupee and then there was additional towing charges and on top of that i had to uh, arrange for another bus but because all our buses uh, were already on road so i had to get a bus from somebody else so i had to pay to somebody else as well so the the, the cost of doing this was significantly high 
but i think i think you guys got just lucky okay so, <laughs> so why don't you show me this on uh, 10 uh, vehicles uh, what your solution can do and then uh, then we'll talk about it like, fair enough uh, we'll do that because uh, there is no harm in doing it while we were talking to him there was a whiteboard written behind him, a whiteboard on which there was an interesting uh, organizational directive that was mentioned over there which said that the entire organization had to improve the fuel efficiency by 2%. Okay. Now, if you look at purple person, it's a 2000 plus workforce. Now, if the entire organization is required to improve the fuel efficiency, we thought that that's a huge number, 2%. And that also has a significant meaning to the company. So, so we said, uh, sir, why didn't you do one thing? 2000 headcount, how many buses? Uh, they had uh, roughly 200 buses. Okay. So uh, that were operating for Pune Municipal Corporation. Uh, so it was a PPP model under which they were operating. So we said, uh, give us your uh, 10 most wo- uh, or worst performing vehicle. Okay, we'd want to work with those. He was like, here are my 10 worst performing vehicles. And we deployed and on those 10 Worst performing on the fuel efficiency parameters. On any which, any parameter, it may be because those buses may be uh, breaking down on uh, frequently, frequently or uh, yeah, or they may be having mileage issues uh, or or any other, you know, so of issues that might be there. Uh, so there may be a pickup loss or, you know, the transmission may not be working properly. So all, all those kind of things, uh, the driving may not, uh, experience may not be smooth, uh, it may be jerky, so whatever may be the reason. So... We took those 10 vehicles. We found that the collective mileage of those vehicles was 2.4. They are all CNG operated vehicles. So we spent 15 days post that on their hub uh, with all the service guys, service and maintenance guys. Uh, the funny days they were because, uh, you know, you have to spend in the night at the hub. Uh, you have to put odomos all over your body because it is filled with mosquitoes. You don't want to get, you know, malaria or dengue. So we used to spend like the entire night over there. In fact, our family started suspecting, you know, where are these guys going in the middle of a night, you know, and coming back uh, early morning. And that was a window uh, window of repair, right? All the buses come to hub at 11 p.m. in the night and 5 a.m. in the morning, they have to leave. So that was the only window where you get to used to get to see how these vehicles are being operated upon. So we used to spend all the time over there uh, and see how they are fixing the vehicle if they get a certain set of data. What is the jargon they use for understanding a certain fault code? How did they go, go about fixing? And there are funny things that we found. You know, the interesting thing that we found was the driver used to come with a fault that my vehicle has lost the pickup. Can you fix it? And the next morning when he'll come to pick up, the, the service guy would say, yeah, I have done something. Why don't you check and come back to me? And... Uh, Interestingly, he would have not done anything, you know, because he, he was under the impression that this driver doesn't want to drive. And that's why he's he's talking, he's he's, uh, he's reporting a problem that doesn't exist. So he will only address the problem if he comes back second time that you did something, but the problem is not fixed. That is only when he'll know that this problem is genuine. Okay. So, so that was their way of understanding if the problem was really genuine or not. And we, we found that very funny. It's like how this organization is operating. It the, was like the, the are... triage system was that. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, so, uh, so we understood the, the way uh, data is being consumed by the, uh, the service guys. And on the basis of that, uh, we, we worked with them, started uh, defining how the platform should look like. 
15 days and uh, post that we went to the GM maintenance and like, sir, here are the, here is the outcome of the exercise that we did. Your aggregated mileage has jumped from 2.4 to 3.8. Okay. And uh, that is way beyond 2% organization mandate that is written behind your uh, chair. And this is what were the fault codes or the issues that we found. And this is how these vehicles are now operating on roads. So he's like, this is good. I want you to come to my head office uh, and I want you to meet the the owner of, uh, of a persona. We went there. One question. How, how did you achieve this 50% jump in fuel efficiency? More than 50% jump in fuel efficiency? It, so, uh, so it was fairly easy to do that. Uh, you know, uh, there were certain fault codes that were there that had impact on the mileage of the vehicle. There are certain fault codes that were having an impact in terms of the overall pickup of the vehicle. Now, and uh, uh, so we identified all those and we just gave them the, in, the in, uh, insight or the input to the service guys. And on the basis, they just fixed those issues. That's it. Nothing beyond that. So all they had to do was to know that there is a problem and just work upon it. Now, uh, this is a very interesting question also from a perspective that if you look at it every night, 200 buses check into your hub and you have limited attention span to go through each and every bus. So the, the philosophy that we had built was that we will, of course, we are working on 10 vehicles at that point of time, but uh, the philosophy was fairly straightforward that we have to identify the most problematic vehicles in the system and bring it to the top because that's how you set the priority. So if you are going to set the priority for the service guys, it, it's like a dream you know, outcome for them. Otherwise, they had to go through each and every bus and they couldn't do justice uh, in the span of six hours. You can't scan 200 buses. Otherwise, you had to have a huge workforce again. So, so that, that's, that's the kind of a problem we realized was there. So by giving basic input, they were able to fix these problems. So we went to the headquarters and it was an interesting thing for next one hour, we just sitting quietly over there, you know. So the entire pitch was done by uh, the, the, the head of maintenance and we got our first order. Uh, that's when we realized the power of, uh, you know, uh, predictive analytics uh, rather than just building a remote monitoring system. And we have been building uh, on top of that since then and reached where we are today. Okay, yeah. amazing, amazing, amazing. So th that was your... Uh, product market fit moment uh, when you onboarded that first customer. How did you figure out pricing? Oh, <laughs> we have been experimenting. We did a lot of experimentation on that. And uh, see, one of the one of the initial uh, uh, days problem was that we didn't knew that what is the impact that we are bringing uh, uh, to the table there. Uh, per vehicle saving, those data points were not available to us. So, so we, we experimented in terms of the overall business model, whether we should go pure OPEX or there should be a mix of CapEx plus SaaS subscription. So we tried that with multiple players. And uh, one of the pure things- Pure OPEX would mean you don't charge for device. The device is free, you just charge a monthly subscription. And CapEx means you charge a one-time device cost or an installation cost and then a monthly subscription yeah a monthly subscription but that is charged upfront uh, on an annual basis okay so um, uh, so we we rolled out both the models and we saw that um, uh, no matter how much of a value you are bringing to the table uh, 
recovering money in an opex model was really difficult uh, so so we just did that experiment with couple of fleet operators and we saw that it uh, there were there were issues in terms of paying it on a regular basis and we we were a uh, we were a capital intensive uh, company because we had to manufacture the device keep the inventory and then if your cost of recovery of that is significantly long then it was not a viable business you know because at some point of time when you start growing those were the number of devices you had to keep in inventory so the rotation of capital wouldn't have been efficient enough so so we realized that we have to bring that down and recover the money upfront so that we can invest that money back into uh, manufacturing more devices so so we quickly pivoted towards uh, towards capex plus uh, saas subscription and uh, since then we have stick to that model and it has it has worked quite well for us as well what do you get in the base tier uh, you get a like a dashboard where you can log in uh, do you get like push notifications when something is going wrong <coughs> i mean uh, i wouldn't understand is it uh, like install and forget for a customer or does this need a mature customer who's savvy enough to look at data points and graphs and uh, make judgments see uh, you don't need a, a a fleet operator to interpret graph that is done by the system itself but to answer your first question they get access to the web dashboard and a mobile app where push notifications keep coming to you whenever there is a certain event that is triggered by the system in terms of either fault code or either a behavioral issue with the driver or a certain event around uh, fuel management uh, so that those are the events which uh, are captured by the system and pushed to the owner there are graphs that are available but we don't expect them to interpret those graphs there is a there is a section which interprets that graph for them and sets and gives them a, a inference as to what it essentially means and that the action that they are expected to take uh, on on those components that are there as a part of our analysis uh, what give me some examples what kind of recommendations would it be giving so as an example let's talk about a engine temperature anomaly okay so and and this was a very funny thing that uh, that you'll find very interesting so we saw that a lot of fleet operators uh, and because india transitioned from bs3 to bs4 and now in bs6 there are a lot of myths that had existed uh, prior to bs4 era so one of the myth was that if the engine is overheating you just remove the the temperature sensor and let the okay and is like uh, it's a closed loop system so right. so how, how how does that work so typically what happens is and it's a very interesting problem statement because all engines are designed to operate in a certain performance band or a temperature band there is a lower and higher level now if suddenly the ecu stops getting the feedback that the temperature uh, the, the vehicle has not reached or the engine has not reached the right temperature what it does is it it starts pumping in more fuel to to ensure that it is running at that particular temperature so it keeps pumping in more and more and more fuel and the mileage of the vehicle goes down because somebody has just plugged out the temperature sensor from the system so we had to educate the fleet operator and the initial days was he's like look i i fix the problem i just removed the uh, the temperature sensor and he's like no that's not how it works you have to get the vehicle's cooling system fixed you can't remove the sensor that is telling you the problem so so it what it our system did was it simplified the implication of that particular fault code so the first uh, thing that it did was to catch the attention of fleet operator that your vehicle's mileage has gone down 
that was the first thing that it would used to catch the attention. The moment they realized that just by removing the temperature sensor, my mileage has gone down, it's like I know I now I have to fix this problem. So that is what they did. The second was we used to tell them that now plug in the sensor back into the system. And then third, if at all this is not happening, then you have a faulty temperature sensor. Even if it is in the system, but it is not giving the right temperature, then you have to just check if the sensor is right. If it is not, just replace the sensor. The cost is not that much. So we simplified this entire thing for the for the fleet operator to, you know, uh, we we dumbed it down essentially. And then you, we ensured that it can be easily uh, interpreted by any fleet operator. And then... Uh, we also had an uh, an impact of that as to how it is impacting the overall performance of the vehicle and how do you uh, how do you fix uh, or the repair strategy should be. So that is how we bifurcated this entire uh, problems that we are identifying into two categories, and that worked very well for us. You know, so it simplified the entire data consumption from a fleet operator's perspective. Although there will be a graph which will show a lot of uh, you know dots and time series and everything. But we didn't expect it ever for a fleet operator to interpret that. But we did come across some very tech-savvy fleet operators who either had or maintenance guy who had worked with the likes of Cummins and Bosch, and they knew what that data point meant. So, so that is also something where they'd love to, you know, uh, have their geek coming out and, you know, every day fixing the vehicle was getting bored. So they used to look at those and give a very interesting inputs to us. So, so that also worked in our favor to get a feedback from the market. Mm, okay, amazing. Uh, I remember Windows used to have this troubleshooting wizard where, yeah. you, let's say your speaker is not working and then it will suggest to you a series of steps and after each one it will ask you that did it fix the problem or not and based on that give you another solution. So you basically did something similar to that for... Uh, Oh, it it, it 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 has it has become quite interesting. So pre- pretty much on a similar line, when the vehicle goes for uh, repair, whether it is a regular maintenance or uh, uh, unscheduled repair, as we call it, as now the the guy sitting in his control room has a complete command in terms of if the right work has been done or not. He's able to do the troubleshooting sitting at his desk. And that is where they are having all the fun. They just pick up the phone and call the service guy that, look, my truck came in with five fault codes. It has come out with three fault codes still there. You have not fixed my problem. So I'm not going to yeah. pay your bill. Fix, first fix Amazing. the problem. Amazing. And, uh, you know, so so that is how the, the world has changed. In fact, OEMs have taken it to an entirely new level. Now they are able to run real world simulations using the data that we are giving them. And... Uh, the product development cycle and the feedback has become so fast and the cost has come down so much for them is that they are they are absolutely enjoying they're running their own matlab simulations based on the data the engine data the, the component level data so everybody's geek has started coming out with the kind of data that is there and they're now they're 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 having more fun with the kind of data that we have I, i'll come to the oem business uh, but let me first uh, go a little deeper into the fleet business uh, what's uh, what's your uh, customer acquisition uh, strategy like how do you acquire customers uh, fleet owners so these are like traditional you know guys who do dhanda uh, old school kind of businessmen whom you're targeting that's your ideal profile of customer no so uh, uh, our ideal customer profile is quite interesting. One, we have seen that um, uh, in the fleet operation business, a lot of young generation or second generation uh, uh, entrepreneurs are started getting in. Uh, 
who are tech savvy they understand the power of data and technology and they want to not run the business in the conventional way in which how their parents or grandparents were running they want to do something different you know and uh, make it as a model use case in terms of showing off uh, to everybody that look this is how i am setting with you but i have a full control of my fleet so that is how our ideal customer profile looks like fleet operators who are large uh, they are tech savvy and uh, uh, of course uh, they have a mixed set of fleet so uh, that is where they and and uh, and of course there are a lot of uh, fleet operators who have stringent safety norms or they have made mileage as one of the kpis uh, which they have understood that for every kilometer if you are not saving on fuel this is a cutthroat market so if you can't make money on per ton goods that you are carrying then let's start saving money on the cost of taking that per ton of goods uh, from uh, per kilometer so they have figured that out so those are the kind of ideal customer profile that we are we are going after we don't go after customer profile where it's a it's a aging uh, fleet operator or a aging fleet for that matter which is older fleets we don't go after them or for that matter government contracts we don't go after those as well uh, so that's that's a typical kind of a customer profile that we are going after in in india so yeah, aging fleet means the the trucks would not have enough sensors and data for you to add value that's correct that's that's correct. And, so there are bs3 class of vehicles okay. ah bs okay 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 yeah. and why not uh, government business see government business runs in a very uh, different way there is a lot of dependency in terms of cash flows you know, and if the if the the uh, the payments are not done on time by the government body to the fleet operators pretty much your uh your recovery also gets hampered so that's where we don't uh, typically like to get into that business uh, uh, and then that's that's one of the primary reasons we stay away from that so this uh, first customer which was in running uh, the pune municipality buses so that was an exception like you you no longer chase such customers we no longer chase such customers but interestingly uh, they no longer have a government contract <laughs> so they went <laughs> out of government contract themselves <laughs> so <laughs> so now they have become our idle customers <laughs> okay 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 interesting and uh, what numbers are you at currently like how many vehicles are uh, on the on the platform we have around 130000 vehicles on our platform now that's wow. uh, growing at a massive massive pace every month we are adding at least uh, 10 to 12000 vehicles uh, wow. so so that is how fast we are growing and this is just now uh, our international numbers have started trickling in this uh, this month or so that is also contributing significantly we have around 20000 fleet operators um, and amongst them this 100 120000 to 130000 vehicles uh, spread is there yeah how many from india what's the split uh, the majority of them is still in india okay. uh, because our international business has just kicked in this quarter and the numbers okay. are still coming in uh, so literally like 98% of these uh, these numbers are from our india business only amazing amazing okay I, i didn't know india had so many fleet operators wow 20000 okay uh, and uh, what is the saving per truck that you are able to generate i'm sure you must be tracking that uh, obsessively because that's the one number which shows your customer what value add you are doing so there are interesting numbers and uh, 
and that will tell you the value that we are bringing to the table. So uh, one of the fleet operators, uh, which is operating around 600 buses, uh, based on the kind of data insight that we're giving them, they are saving roughly around 20 lakh per month just behind the 600 vehicle. That is 2.4 crore per year. Wow. Then uh, there's a very interesting thing that happened. Uh, One of the infrastructure company, they had a fleet of 250 vehicles. Uh, now, uh, one of uh, again, our interesting problem is that whatever we talk about, it is too good to be true. So typically, whenever we go to fleet operator, fleet operator says, you know, just show it to, uh, to me on my fleet and then I'll, I'll trust you. So we said, give us 50 vehicles and then we'll show you the outcome. So we deployed it on their 50 vehicles, gave them all the walkthrough and, uh, and how to do the data consumption, train their team. After two months... Uh, of course, there are frequent touch points that uh, that we have created. But after two months, our account manager went for an in-person meeting uh, just to tell them, uh, give them a performance overview as to how things are looking like, how the performance has improved. Uh, the interesting thing is that he had kept the check ready for the rest of 200 vehicles. And he was like, uh, what just happened over here? I had not come to uh, pick up the order, but I just wanted to give you the overview of what those 50 vehicles have done. So he's like, let me tell you what I have done with your data. Like you, on those 50 vehicles, I found out the worst performing vehicles and the best performing vehicles. I have put those best performing vehicles on the tougher routes and the worst performing vehicles on the easier routes. Just on those 50 vehicles, I have already saved 12 lakh rupees per month. Wow. Okay, so here is the check for 200 vehicles. I want your device to be deployed on all the vehicles that are there. Uh, then there is another fleet operator, uh, which is uh, which has more than 1,000 plus vehicles on our platform. And... Uh, Based on the insight that we are giving them, they are paying more than three crores worth of incentives to drivers every year. So, and our take is their saving would be, uh, this This is just a 10% of the saving that they would be doing. So you can just put, uh, uh, you know, connect the dots and see the kind of saving they're doing. And these are just the numbers on saving, but uh, we put a lot of effort on safety also. And uh, there are some interesting data insights that we give. So if you look at this industry, people have been talking about overspeeding, heartbreaking, hard acceleration. And we saw that uh, there is more to it in terms of driving behavior. So we started closely looking at the transmission utilization. And we saw when the drivers are driving down the hill in neutral to save on fuel and then take it out and sell in the market. And, and we realized that that was a myth that was there. So uh, because when you're driving down the hill, it has a serious issue of the engine seizing, your vehicle losing control and meeting with an accident. So we educated the the drivers extensively in terms of why that is a bad driving practice. The outcome of that was that one of the fleet operators, which is based out of Mumbai, they have 600 vehicles. Uh, They have brought down their, uh, you know, the safety incidents by more than 90%. So every day before the drivers go out, they get hold of the drivers and the feedback is uh, the, the way this entire scorecard is the objective feedback. So we just don't label a driver as a good driver or a bad driver. We tell them that you are failing on these areas. This is where the area of improvement is there. What so are some examples know. of the so, areas? So, so typically we call these topics. So we are talking about, uh, you know, uh, the upshift and the downshift of the gear for how long the driver is staying within the peak torque ratio and going above or below the peak torque ratio, driving the vehicle in neutral or uh, doing, you know, uh, heart-breaking house acceleration, that those are also other parts, or idling. So these are the different topics on which we give them a scoring. And we do a peer-to-peer comparison. 
So we will typically compare a Tata Motors uh, uh, driver with Tata Motors and not with Volvo as an example. And then rationalize the entire score and give them a simple, easy to understand scorecard. and we rate them on a on a A plus to all the way to a D minus, and they know that a D minus driver has failed on a certain topic, and he needs to fix his driving behavior. And these are the losses that we are incurring because of this particular area where he's he's not good. So it was fairly easy, simple to comprehend driver scorecard that any 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 guy could understood understand. So that is that is what uh, we gave him, and uh, this fleet operator took that, and he just now has one guy whose job is just to get hold of a driver, tell him that, look, this is where your score is bad. You need to improve. And uh, he created an entire driver incentive program around it and started incentivizing the drivers on best performance. Now, the beauty of that was behind 600 vehicles and roughly around 1,500 to 1,800 drivers, everybody is now striving to get those driver incentives. But the collective effort of that is that their their safety score uh, or incidents have come down by more than 95%. You know, so in fact, the graph looked so weird that we had all the problems that were there. They took that, they studied it for a week, and then suddenly the graph came down. It came down by more than 90%, uh, 95%. We thought that there was some problem in our uh, inferencing uh, model that suddenly how did the graph see uh, saw a dip and then the, it was it was a flat line. So then we went to their hub just to see if uh, if they were fiddling with the driver. We saw the first thing there was a there was a uh, you know driver uh, training that was going on when we reached to their Mumbai hub and new Mo- Navi Mumbai hub. So that's that's how fleet operators are using the system to to take the entire data uh, to the next level and they're tweaking it based on their operations and that's the beauty of it, you know. So these and, are and some of the interesting insights. This would not be in the base tier, right? You told me some of the driver behavior stuff is in the premium tiers. This is on the on the top plan, the top tier plan that we have uh, of six thousand. That's where it is available. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Right. And uh, you said it also talks of like fuel management events. What does that mean? So. Uh, uh, so we, we went to the fleet operator and fuel op- fleet operator gave us a very interesting uh, thing. It's like my, my driver takes out fuel from the vehicle. Okay. Uh, and can you help me with that? So we said, yeah, we'll, we'll try to figure that out. And we saw that uh, all, all OEM vehicles have an onboard fuel sensor, which is essentially driving your fuel gauge on the instrument cluster. But it had a serious limitation in terms of the way it had been designed. And um, our drivers are... Uh, are very very creative as we saw it they have multiple ways of stealing fuel so one way of stealing fuel will be let's say if i'm a fleet operator i will give driver uh, money to uh, fill 100 liters he will fill 100 liters he'll create a chalan or a bill of 100 liters and take it to one of the nearest dhaba and sell that in the black market the let's say 50 liters in the in the black market that is one way of making money and the second way of making money is I've given him money for 100 liters. He'll just pay, 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 fill 50 liters, but generate the bill for 100 liters. That is called underfilling. So we we found a way to, uh, and this is a patented algorithm that we have. Now it's patented in US and India as well, uh, where we figured out a way to take this entire uh, uh, you know, fuel gauge, uh, uh, you know, resolution that was around 15 to 20 liters, bring it down all the way to half a liter to a liter by applying our machine learning data models. And on the basis of that, capture all the fuel filling and uh, 
other instances of you know selling it in the in the market or if it is being the fuel is being filled at unauthorized locations like one of the dhabas because if a driver is selling the fuel to a dhaba then the dhaba guy will adulterate that fuel and then sell it back into the market to some other driver who will fill that fuel so we we started figuring that out drivers are smart they realized that we could we could uh, figure both the instances out they came up with a new way of taking fuel out so they said that we see these guys are these guys are figuring out a way to take a to to capture this when the vehicle comes to stand still we'll not stop the vehicle we'll just take out the uh, the fuel while the vehicle is moving so so that was even more interesting so so we saw that uh, you know certain vehicles were not making sense to us and our, our system was throwing an internal alert that typically the mileage of the vehicle should be let's say 4 kmpl but this vehicle is showing a mileage less than 3 as an example and uh, we don't see any vehicle health related problem the driver is behaving uh, driving right so there is something else that's wrong so we started looking at the fuel curve and we saw that it had a very interesting curvature that was showing up which is a excessive fuel consumption so we we went back into the field and uh, did a surprise check and we found that they had put a small motor underneath their seat it was connected to the battery a pipe was connected to the to the to the fuel tank and the other end was connected to one of the let's say a uh, 10 or 20 liters of uh, uh, you know uh, that plastic that was jar. there yeah. plastic jar was there these guys are so smart their calculation is so accurate that they knew that i had to start at point a because i have to sell that at point b this is the amount of kilometers this is the time it will take to fill that tank so this is when i need to start doing that so all the calculations were done as like if you had done that kind of calculation during your your school days you probably would have been an engineer and not sitting and driving a truck so so oh, that was the level so so that is that is how things were so we we designed a new algorithm that essentially could find this you know uh, excessive fuel consumption and raise an alert now this is not a, a unusual fuel pill fridge so we we raised a different kind of alert over there that is this vehicle is having excessive fuel consumption although everything else is fine you need to talk to the driver and tell him that we have figured out that way also uh, that the way you are taking out fuel so those those are the ways in which you know fuel pill fridge uh, as a as a feature became a big big hit and now it has become a global phenomenon everybody loves that feature Uh, amazing 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 and the way you acquire your customers is through the like you have people who like account executives or business development guys who go out and meet these people and uh, like that's how you're acquiring customers so um, generally leads or prospects are generated through multiple channels so one is of course we have a inside sales team that reaches out to uh, to these fleet operators that is one way and if at all there is a interested fleet operator then we pass it on to the local uh, regional sales manager who takes that forward then the second way in which uh, a fleet operator gets on to our radar is through uh, the vehicle would have been sold as a part of a standard factory fitment uh, uh, by the oem and uh, when they see the value of this solution then there is a aha moment that comes out of the fleet operator that if you can do this on this class of vehicle then you can definitely do it on the other class of vehicles as well so why don't you populate my entire fleet with your devices and give me uh a single uh, unified dashboard 
for monitoring all different makes and model of vehicle. Otherwise, the problem that they have is that if they have Tata Motors, they have to have a separate dashboard. Then there is, if they have Ashok Leland, then they have a Ashok Leland dashboard. And then there is Volvo Aishar, and then there is Mahindra, and then there is Daimler. So if they have a mixed fleet, then they have to have four different monitors, four different ways of in which their data comes to them. And then you need to have uh, people who are able to make sense of that data and bring it onto one single uh, you know, uh, Excel spreadsheet or presentation to to understand how, what is happening with each and every class of vehicle. We absolutely simplified that and we said that you have one single dashboard that will do a comparison across the board or with all the all the different make and model. So, so that was one of the pitch that we had. And the third is, of course, through the enterprise. A lot of enterprises have started partnering with us and they're selling or they're reselling this solution as a value-added services to their customers for whatever product they have been using. They are just saying that you have entangles. Now we'll take care of additional set of parameters as well for you while you're consuming our product. Uh, as an example. What's an example of this? Like a company so selling- an oil and gas company. Uh, okay, so there is an oil and gas company which is selling lubricants, fuel, they may have fuel card. So then there may be a tire company and they will say, you know what, you can buy, you use my tires, but I'm going to give you the performance guarantee of the tires using Intangles as a solution. So as an example, tire is a very interesting problem statement, right? You, you build long lasting tires, your mileage takes a dip. And if you build a better mileage tires, your tires life goes down. So you have to have a balancing act between these two. So, so Entangles works very well over there when it gives you a better insight that the mileage of the vehicle has come down, not because of the tire, but because of either the health of the vehicle or the, the driver is taking out the fuel from the system. If you have time, I'll, I'll give you a very interesting uh, uh, story that we had. We were working with one of the OEMs, the tire OEMs, and their R&D center. They had an R&D budget of roughly around 20 crores per year. And they were coming up with new kinds of tires, which were which would give you better mileage. And then we went there and we deployed our uh, our device. And of course, uh, of course, uh, the way they used to test is they, the truck will go first go unladen and then it will have full load, a partial load, then full load. And then they will look at the performance of these vehicles and then decide whether the vehicle is giving a mileage. Uh, when we deployed our devices, it was a funny thing. We found that the entire R&D was hinged on that driver who was taking out fuel and selling in the market. And all, yeah. all the R&D guys were just thinking that the tire is not giving the mileage. And they were just, you know, pulling their hairs and they're trying to figure out how do I get, you know, what else do I need to do to get better performance? And after almost a year, when we there, it, it just took a month for them to figure out that the tire was not a problem, but the driver who was taking the vehicle for test drive was taking out fuel and selling in the market. So when we took that to the to the MD of the company, he was completely, you know, blown away as to this is how my R&D budget is being spent on trying to figure out the performance of the tire. But so those are the interesting insights that started coming out when the when the data uh, that that we had from the system. You are able to predict when a tire needs a replacement for a fleet owner. No, we we don't. We we are not into that. So. Okay. Um, we haven't yet built the tire module, uh, but uh, so that that we don't have any solution around that as of now. But is that a solvable problem? Is there a way in which you can look at proxy data and give some probability that maybe the tire needs to be looked at? We plan to build a tire module where this will come as an input. 
and uh, now this will act as an addition to uh, to overall performance of a truck or a vehicle where if the tire has gone uh, under severe wear and tear then how it has an impact on the overall there are multiple things your braking distance goes down if your tire is are bad or goes up sorry uh, it it goes up uh, then the second problem is your mileage has an impact so so all all those aspects do have an impact in fact tire pressure is also one important thing over inflation of tire is one of the very well known problems that uh, that this industry is facing if you have a over inflated tire uh, then you get better mileage so drivers are known to inflate the tires but it takes a, the tires uh, life takes a hit and that is the single second single most uh, uh, biggest capex that uh, fleet operators have after fuel uh, so so that is also one of the important things but we do plan to build a module around it to monitor the performance of and the life of the tires Can, you'll need to add extra sensors like maybe a pressure gauge on the tire or something like that no we don't plan to do that the, this will be little manual uh, manual effort where the uh, the fleet operators are known to take uh, tire tread depths and the, the tire rotation and all those parameters we plan to create a handheld tools that will uh, help them uh, yeah, ease the collection of this data and that will act as an input and on the basis of that we'll plug into our current set of uh, 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 algos that we have and make them more smarter so that is something that we plan to do okay okay uh, you told me that uh, <clears throat> these uh, like say a daimler truck or a tata truck uh, already comes with a dashboard uh, this is like they the do. same thing as what you are offering like they have the same capability in their dashboard like real time uh, data so um, in theory uh, all these uh, solutions are uh, supposed to give a real time uh, performance insight on the vehicle but one of the problems that all these uh, oems have is that to what extent they would want to open up uh, their systems to fleet operators to know how serious or how many problems are occurring and that's where we at entangles have acted, acted as a neutral party uh, and giving all the data transparency transparently that is one and second is the unified dashboard so but fleet operators yeah all all oems are working on that and they're also trying to make their systems smarter but then there is a significant gap that exists at, at this point of time between what they are offering and versus what entangles has so i guess your biggest competitors would be the oems themselves right because absolutely uh, they would want to uh, build something which is robust enough that a customer doesn't need to go to you uh, although it may not happen but in their minds that would be what they would be trying to do i guess yeah so ideally yes uh, so uh, there are two two reasons why they are actually a serious competition because they have access to all the data in fact they have access to more data than what we have you know so they are definitely that and second uh, you're right uh, you know uh, uh, they would want to have access to every vehicle on which entangles gets deployed they are losing data on those vehicles uh, and they stop getting uh, insights so that is definitely they're definitely one of the biggest competitors yeah why do they lose data uh so uh, if if uh, uh, so they will lose data because uh, fleet operator will typically not want to pay two different uh, devices they would want to have one single device that is, so that is this is a, like a paid service from a tata or a daimler like it's not like bundled into the truck price for initial years it is but after that uh, it it is they have to renew the subscription by paying some amount okay uh, to okay. the to tatas or daimlers or something like that
Okay, okay, okay. So, so there's a device on board. So that device you replace with the entangles device. So therefore, the the OEM doesn't get that data anymore. Uh, we don't replace the device because there is a separate uh, CAN line that that is there for the OEM. So we deploy in an aftermarket on an OBD port. So typically, two devices can reside parallelly. But if they don't renew the subscription for the OEM, then OEMs typically turn it off because otherwise uh, they are incurring cost for a solution that is not being used. And there is there is a significant cost to keep that vehicle, uh, the device running on a vehicle. There is a network cost, there is an infrastructure cost. Uh, so all, all those costs do exist as a part of uh, for the OEMs as well. So they do, typically don't keep it on. So is there an opportunity for you to tell an OEM that why do you invest in creating your own dashboards? Use ours, we will white label it for you. There is a, there is a significant value uh, uh, to, to OEMs, uh, to latching on to what Entangles has developed. First of all, uh, uh, there, are, there are certain patents that we have filed. Of course, uh, if somebody wants to build a similar kind of a solution, there will be some bit of uh, patent infringement uh, that will happen. The second piece is about... Uh, uh, the kind of analytics that we have developed, uh, which absolutely makes it easy for a fleet operator to consume the data, uh, we have simplified it. It's a tried and tested model. The third one is for the OEMs, uh, the kind of value their product development and service stations uh, or service uh, team is able to derive. Uh, that is also another area which uh, which OEMs will can build it because, of, of course, they have access to data, but it will take some time for them to build it. So, so there is there is a lot of value uh, that OEMs can derive out of it. But do, do you see that happening? Uh, I mean, wouldn't that there are there there are conversations happening with the OEMs, and in fact, um, uh, for past three four days, some very large OEMs uh, are, are have reached out to us, and they're getting quite eager to f- figure out a way to get this as a standard factory fitment. So those conversations are definitely happening and they're happening across the board, not only with the ICE, but also in EV and uh, other alternative fuels as well. So across the board, uh, those conversations have started happening with us. Amazing. That would be like a real game changer in terms of the sudden increase in number of vehicles on the platform and so on. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell me about your OEM business now. Uh, you spoke of uh, and what percentage of your revenue is from the OEM business, uh, where, where OEMs are using this for their R and D uh, and so on. See, OEMs have multiple uh, lines of data consumptions that they have at this point of time. But to answer your other question in terms of revenue, prior to the start of this financial years, uh, year, OEMs were contributing around seventy percent to our revenue. But 70. as our other seventy percent, uh, but wow. as our other businesses started growing, that number, uh, of course, OEMs pie has increased in terms of revenue share or revenue contribution, uh, but uh, their uh, percentage contribution has come down to around forty percent. So our other businesses have uh, has taken off significantly. That is the direct market enterprises and our international growth has take, taken off quite a bit. So so now OEMs are contributing around forty percent of our overall revenue. Um, I would have thought uh, OEMs would be a much smaller part of your business because an OEM for R&D will not take it for thousands of vehicles, right? Maybe they'll take it for 100 vehicles at best. No, so OEMs are deploying this on each and every vehicle that is getting rolled out from their factory. So this has become a standard factory fitment now. 
Okay. So you already have these deals in place where OEMs uh, deploy entangles uh, in a white-labeled manner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, they are not white-labeling it. Some of the OEMs are not at all white-labeling it. They are using entangles okay. as is. Uh, okay. But uh, they see a lot of value right from get-go where the device gets deployed at their end-of-line assembly. Uh, they are doing quality analysis of their vehicles. In fact, there is a mandate uh, that OEMs have started uh, started where the vehicles, uh, they can't leave their factory if, uh, if it doesn't passes the quality check done on all the components by entangles and they have zero fault codes. So, so that is the first level. The second is now they have absolute insight in terms of if the vehicle is leaving their factory and reaching a certain dealership network, they know how much amount of fuel is required to, to, to for the for the vehicle to reach that particular destination. So they have an absolute good estimation of that. That is a significant saving on that. In fact, uh, they're also now training their drivers to ensure that there is no rash driving that is happening when the vehicles are, are in transit. Uh, the third is now they're able to uh, monitor the residence time of their inventory at each and every dealership. So if there is a demand that is coming from one of the locations and there are vehicles in other location, they can all, of course, swap those vehicles or, or, or uh, transfer those vehicles from one dealership to the other dealership. They're also able to post delivery. Uh, now, uh, they are able to monitor the performance. So the warranty costs have come down significantly for the OEMs uh, from multiple perspectives. One, they now know if the vehicle has been abused, they can see that uh, clearly in the data and they can decide whether the vehicle needs to be serviced in warranty or out of warranty. And the additional advantage that they have is, let's say, if I'll give you a classic example, there is an engine overrun condition that we call it as, where the, there's an RPM spike and that can damage the engine. So typically these engines are expected to run it at least for six years or six lakhs kilometer as an example. But if the engine uh, 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 fails before that, then they can go back in date, uh, and, and look at the data and they can go and tell also the fleet operator that, look, we had fired an alert which stated that your driver is uh, causing an engine overrun condition and you need to tell him. But you didn't listen to or you didn't uh, adhere to what we are firing. Now we are not going to service this engine in warranty, as an example. And there is going to be a cost associated with it. And typically, uh, a 25 to 30 ton engine is uh, is decently costly. Uh, it, it can range from 5 to 6 to 7 lakh, depending upon which class of vehicle you're driving. So... So fleet operators now, so service station guys can uh, show that data and tell that the owner or the driver of the vehicle that this is how it is. But let's say if the vehicle was driven absolutely fine, then there was no driver behavior or any other kind of overloading condition that was there and the component still failed. Now OEMs have access to that piece of data where they know under what condition and after how many kilometers the component has failed. They give that feedback to the tier one supplier as a, as a part of their feedback. But they also pass on the warranty cost to the tier one supplier that you your component didn't last for the committed uh, you know drive cycles that it was supposed to last and you need to own the, own the cost of warranty. So suddenly OEM's warranty costs have come down. Their feedback to tier one suppliers are now in near real time and they're able to bring about those uh, you know those improvements in a, at a much rapid rate. And the vehicle recalls have gone down. In fact, they have gone down almost to uh, next to nil in a, a, wherever they have onboard sensors uh, for those components. So that's a huge value that uh, OEMs have started seeing. 
inside the oems there are after sales uh, service team they are now able to monitor the dealer or the service station level performance if the vehicle goes to a service station and comes out without a problem being fixed they immediately their uh, the, the command center that they have set up they know that this particular dealership is or the service station is not doing the, the justice to the vehicle's maintenance the regular maintenance itself so those are the kind of uh, insights and they are able to now train uh, the service station guys in terms of the right way of uh, fixing the vehicle and uh, and get the vehicle on time back on road for the for the fleet operator so that's the kind of a value that all different involved parties are able to derive in fact we have taken it to the next level as the regulatory changes are coming on board and new regulations are coming on board fleet operators have now oems have now have to do changes on the fly which means they would want to upgrade the entire ecu over there and that we have now started doing it on a single click of a button which otherwise earlier was uh, the owners was on the dealership get the vehicle back on to the dealership which meant that there was a downtime for the fleet operator then the dealership had to deploy a dedicated person just with a laptop to to upgrade the ecu all those things have gone and just on a click of a button now the vehicles can be upgraded while it, while the driver is having his lunch or dinner at one of the dhabas uh give me an example uh, a regulatory change causing a change in the ecu embedded software so typically uh, uh, india has gone into uh, you know uh, phase 2 of opd2 norms that uh, this april where the emission OPD, regulations what, what is uh... so typically yeah that's that's where i'm coming so what typically it means is that the your particulate matters in your exhaust have to be brought down significantly okay and that data has to be published over the obd port or the 16 pin port that we talked about at the beginning of this call that is where this data needs to be published so so when those kind of changes are to be done then the entire strategy from the oems perspective also has to be done now this is extremely proprietary to the oem which is generally not available to the likes of entangles so what we do is that we have created a secure channel for oems to deploy this strategy onto the ecu in terms of how they would want to manage their uh, uh, ancillary emission controllers and meet the regulatory requirements uh, so that is and not impacting the performance of the vehicle so we have created a secure channel on the basis of which they can up- upgrade the entire ecu using our data pipe through the device and do these changes so that's that's what essentially we are talking about as a part of in entire ecu upgrade over there okay and which oems are uh, have been using you so there are there are three uh, large oems at this point of time they are using this solution uh, as a part of our our rollout but you can't name them i can't name them yeah okay 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 like a indian oem like these mahindra tata yeah yeah all all, all, all three are yeah yeah all three are indian oems okay 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 uh, so for an oem uh, is this a value added service to the customer where they are upselling it or is it something which is an out of pocket expense for them to help them reduce their warranty cost etc so uh, the way oems see it is that they generally sell the vehicle with a certain amc commitment so they see this as a as a uh, way to re- bring down their warranty cost uh, that is how they see it post amc is over then they see this as a value added service feature for the fleet operator so the initial 2 to 3 years for which the oems are paying to us uh, they are selling this as a as a free offering and that is where they let them have the t- taste of uh, the entire set of features and post that when the fleet operator renews it the oems still continue to get access to 
to the data and on the basis of that they are able to uh, do the service scheduling the spare part management and all the host of other factors uh, as as a part of uh, their data uh, access to the data okay 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 interesting so uh, how, how does it happen if you go to a fleet operator and he has 100 trucks out of which let's say 30 trucks are already indirectly entangles customers because the OEM has provided that and through the OEM the entangle system is implemented the, the remaining 70 are not uh, what what happens then so uh, so what typically happens and this is a very interesting question because uh, there are there are two consumers to this data there is a OEM deployment that has happened which means OEM wants to have access to the to the make and model that they have supplied uh, but from uh, let's say they have a mix of model so the moment we deploy uh, the solution whenever fleet operator opens he gets to see all the vehicles whether it is tata ashok leyland and mahindra as an example in their fleet uh, they get to see all the vehicles on a single platform but at the same time when the same platform is opened by the oems they get access to only their brand of vehicles they don't get to see any other vehicles so that's that's how uh, that's how the entire platform has been designed for all of them to derive value out of it and uh, your oem customers uh, get access to all their vehicles data irrespective of whether that vehicle was sold with a bundled uh, entangles device or not no no they don't get oh, they okay. only, only get when to it was see sold with the bundle sold device. as a part of the yeah, bundle solution yeah okay 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 got it got it interesting uh, you also said that you help them with the new product development uh, reducing the time it takes to launch a new model uh, for an oem uh, what uh, what was that about so typically when when you are doing a new product development the most important uh, things are that there are a certain performance characteristics that are expected out of the vehicle okay and uh, those performance characteristics are under different conditions whether we are talking ambient conditions uh, and the terrain and uh, the driver and all those elements so for you to um, to have that access to that data the typical process that uh, was there prior to entangles kind of a company is that there will be an offline vehicle data recording system or it is called as a vdr which is like a black box in an uh, it, airplane something like that yeah it's it's like a eight eight channel multi can device that is listening to all kind of sensors uh, storing the data locally and the the drivers will will drive on the road you would have seen those kind of test vehicles you know those are camouflaged and has weird kind yes, of you know right. uh, 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 camouflage uh, strategy that they have so in you you those those vehicles are typically fitted with that kind of a device that is collecting data and they'll zoom past through you by the way i've never seen them driving slow uh, <laughs> for whatever reason but uh, then that data is collected for thousands and thousands of kilometer it reaches their uh, their uh, r and d center or product development center they will download the data and then they will run the simulation and they'll find the faults or issues with those vehicles and then that again the cycle will happen where they will make those changes they will give the feedback to uh, to the tier 1 suppliers those changes will happen and this is a long cycle so typically those because of that the, the development cycle is more than a year for oems now with entangles in place the that added advantage is that they can change on the fly the entire data collection strategy and they can focus on a certain set of components and accelerate the entire data collection itself that is the first advantage the second is it is real time streaming of that data and third is they can feed that data into their matlab system which means they don't have to wait for the driver to come to uh, uh, to office or to their uh, development center they can ask the driver to 
uh, run the vehicle under certain conditions if they see certain issues as in let's say if the vehicle is going up the hill and they want to repeat that performance characteristic they'll ask the driver to do that maneuvering again you know so now they after the improvements are done or any changes that are done they can keep running those and keep getting additional data points so the feedback mechanism is quite fast and what they can do is they can open up a data pipe to one of the tier one suppliers for them to have access to just their set of uh, pool of data and make a decision on the basis of what is exactly happening. So that's the kind of advantage that they get that brings down or shrinks the overall uh, development cycle by multifold. You know, it, 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 it's like when it is real time, you get to run the simulations quite faster. And that's the advantage that OEMs have started taking and bringing about the changes in their overall uh, development cycle. Uh, what's a MATLAB? You said they, they transfer the data. MATLAB is a Mat- simulation. It's it's a simulation software that is used by uh, by uh, by product development team, and they can uh, in, in that they can run the permutation commission, understand how each and every component is performing under different conditions. It's just just a plain simulation software that is used by them. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, tell me about your uh, funding journey. Uh, I'm assuming initial days uh, you must have funded it through the revenue that you were uh, already generating at Taviska? Uh, no, so uh, the initial days was bootstrapped. Um, when we got uh, the initial R&D stages where I told you about the child tracker to the journey of building the monitoring system, it was completely bootstrapped. Then we acquired our first customer. And of course, it was our own personal money. Uh, then we had uh, we got attention of a few of the HNIs based out of Pune. And they liked the story and uh, they put initial pool of money. Uh, while that was happening, uh, the co-founders of uh, Tavisca, they said that we love the story. We would, would also like to participate. So they also participated as a far, part of uh, the angel round that we raised. Uh, that was a pool of around 1.7 crores that we had raised as a part of our angel funding. Uh, then also there was another round of funding again uh, uh, by one of the HNIs. Uh, he's known as a quality guru. Uh, and only the only dubbing prize winning uh, winner outside of Japan as an individual. So, uh, so he loved the entire tech stack and he understood the value of uh, all the data inferencing we, we are doing. So he's like, I would like to invest in Entangles. So his name is Janak Mehta. So he, he he's a veteran in in the world of quality. So he invested in Entangles. So that's how we got two rounds of uh, investments done. Uh, then by then I had uh, we had uh, a healthy exit out of Tavisca, so I had a lot of personal capital that I have in, had invested uh, into into Entangles. Then we also went into the market uh, uh, to to institutional investors, but the problem that we faced initially was first we were small, and uh, second uh, was it was a little difficult for anyone to understand as to why we are different than any other telematics players that have been there in the industry. Uh, and when we start talking about digital twin, the value, it was a lot of times uh, we saw that the analysis were lost as to what is this guy talking about. And the other problem that I've, uh, I also learned as a part of uh, our pitching was that uh, there was too much of technology in our pitch. you know, And... I'm sure the question that while the analyst was listening to our pitch was that how am I going to put this entire thing into my information memorandum that I have to go back and convince uh, my uh, partners that we have to invest because this is too much of tech uh, that uh, I will have to write. So so we got rejected at the analyst level itself in a lot of these pitches. Uh, so 
we, we ended up talking to a lot of people. So we didn't have enough success during our initial days. But then uh, we had a good amount of uh, internal capital. So we were able to survive through, through that. And then, of course, the recent round of funding happened. Uh, where we, we figured out a way to to talk about how much of an impact that we are bringing from a fleet operator's perspective and why they would latch on to the technology rather than going too much deep into talking about what the technology is all about. So we kept that superficial and we focused more on the value of the, of the entire tech stack. Because you had enough uh, case studies by that time of customers who were actually using and you had enough traction and uh, like like you... You had shown that this is a, uh, you know, the the it's beyond product market fit, and there is already customer love. That was uh, that was one of the things, and of course, uh, uh, what also had happened is that um, since India had moved on to uh, BS six or Euro six equivalent, you know, we found that the problems that we are seeing in India is not just specific to India, but that is also something that is there going that will be there in the developed economies as well. So, so that was one of the advantages uh, we had in, in our pitches when we said, look, uh, we know that US and Europe for that matter has moved on to Euro 6 and those are far sophisticated engines. But India also has now uh, sophisticated powertrains and we are seeing that the complexity of our problem has gone up multifold. So this is going to be a, a problem that you are going to face on a global level. So there is a much bigger TAM uh, that is there uh, compared to what we had anticipated earlier. And that was one of the one of the, uh, the game changers. So, uh, in, in terms of the way we pitched our product. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, by the end of this year, what revenue will you close at? Like, what do you think? So, is- uh, so we will be definitely growing uh, more than two x this year. Uh, so we would be crossing uh, a, a very interesting milestone of doing more than hundred crores of revenue this year. Wow. Um, and uh, that is again two x of what we did last year. Uh, so that's that's the kind of a, a revenue that we are tracking at this point of time. Uh, which countries have you opened up outside India? So we are live in now Canada, uh, where we have already onboarded uh, around uh, four to five customers. Then we are live in uh, in US, uh, where we have onboarded one of a very large city operations now. Uh, and uh, interesting, our little customer profile has changed in US. There we have gone live with a go- with a fleet which has a government contract, unlike <laughs> India. So, so that's uh, that's there. Uh, then we are uh, going live in Argentina. Uh, that is through our global partnership with the oil and gas company. We are uh, we are also going live in Turkey and Saudi. Uh, we are already live in UAE, and we are also live in Malaysia and Philippines. And uh, the other countries that we have uh, seen immense potential, but we have put that on back burner, or we are not uh, focusing on uh, this quarter is Australia, New Zealand, uh, Spain, and Vietnam. Uh, so these are the countries that we will be focusing on the fourth quarter. We want to stabilize these countries that we're talking about at this point of time. Yeah, okay. Do you have uh, a direct competitor who's also doing this kind of a digital twin? Uh, not digital twin as such, uh, but there are companies which has a, which have narrative which is very similar to what we are doing at Entangles in terms of predictive analytics. But uh, what we have seen is the uh, the level of data accuracy that we have is far higher uh, uh, in, in case of entangles. So technically, nobody has been able to come close to the kind of uh, insights that we are able to uh, provide. And uh, 
it, and that is true across the globe, not just in India, but we have seen that uh, outside of India as well. Uh, that that and that's the advantage that we see uh, when we have gone in U.S. or Canadian market. We have displaced some of these top players already with some of the fleet operators. So, uh, like the, the the traction website mentions uh, Samsara and Lokonav as your competitors. Are, are these the companies you're talking about, which have a similar pitch, or because these are largely uh, not doing uh, like engine maintenance and stuff they're more of like fleet management and location and stuff like that right like see if you look at the narrative of samsara it is again same there is another company called uptake that is also doing a similar kind of a uh, stuff uh Lokonav is not they're they're focusing primarily on track and trace and all the on the ancillary services around track and trace they are not into vehicle health uh, per se or fuel management directly okay. they do of course do fuel management by uh, by getting an additional sensor onto the vehicles uh, vehicles fuel tank uh, which we don't do uh, so that saves not only on cost and time but also improves on the accuracy because we are using a robust uh, OE fitted onboard sensor. So that has a far right. more accuracy and you're not disturbing the integrity of the fuel tank. So, which is extremely important for you to have an accuracy on the on the data. But uh, these are the kind of players that we're talking about. Uh, there are companies uh, uh, like uh, 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 one of the companies, the turbocharger manufacturing company that applies digital twin, but their analytics is only... Uh, uh, limited to the turbochargers that they uh, they develop, uh, What's and a they do not apply. Turbochargers used for so so turbochargers are uh, intercoolers. They are typically used to boost uh, the pressure uh, of the vehicle. Uh, so that is uh, that is effectively essentially used to uh, improve the overall performance of the vehicle. Okay. Uh, and they are they are used in uh, generally uh, diesel powered vehicles uh, to okay. get the best out of the vehicle. Okay, 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 got it. Uh, what does your uh, supply chain look like? Because you are also selling a physical product. Uh, so how have you solved the supply chain problem? Do you manufacture or is it third-party manufacturing? Or We have an in-house uh, design and development team that designs this entire hardware which sits onto the vehicle. Uh, we source our own components. Uh, they are sourced through multiple uh, channels and countries. And... Uh, during COVID uh, time, we saw how the supply chain can get impacted. Um, and we have seen how a lot of companies, the chip shortage was a, was one of the most uh, you know buzzing news at that point of time. And we were also significantly impacted at that point of time. So the new strategy that we have uh, uh, deployed, and we know that you know there, there's a trade war that is currently going on, and uh, there are some kind of embargo. Some country would block supply chain from some country. So, so those can have a significant impact on, on a company like Intangle. So, what we have done is uh, uh, we have multiple designs that are that are there for a single device, and uh, and those the critical components that are sourced uh, through multiple channels. So, if let's say there is a communication modem that we have that is being manufactured in Taiwan, then we also have a design where that particular modem is designed in Italy as an example, or sourced from Europe, uh, or it might be sourced from one of the South American countries. So, so we spend significant amount of time in terms of decide, designing or deciding our design strategy and the kind of component that can sit onto the vehicle. And that is essentially one of the reasons why we are not 
impacted by the supply chain. And of course, uh, we, are, we are still a small player, even with the kind of a volume that we are talking about. It's fairly easy for us to, to even uh, change our supply uh, supplier for that matter, if at all we see any constraint that is coming from a country or a particular supplier for a certain component. And it's uh, like there's a the assembly and whatever is done by a third party manufacturer. Yeah. So the the mounting of these components on a PCB is done on a job work by one of the EMS players, uh, and once that is done, those uh, those semi finished goods uh, come to our premises where we have a secured facility, which is where our proprietary code, the one that you have been talking about for quite some time as to what we are doing in terms of data collection, that's a very well guarded secret. Uh, that is pushed onto the wake, uh, onto this, uh, on on the device, uh, and it is encrypted so that uh, you can't put a sniffer device or uh, try to reverse engineer uh, the firmware. So that is something that is done. So the folks who are loading this firmware don't get access to even that so piece of code. All they have is just two buttons. One is load the code and clear the code. That's it. Uh, okay. That's that's how. Uh, well protected it is uh, okay. in terms of uh, okay. the collection. Yeah. Okay, so my last question to you: What have been your top three learnings in this journey of building entangles uh, as a founder, as a leader? Uh, the first and foremost, and uh, that is uh, absolutely important. Now that this is my third startup, you know, uh, the team that that goes behind uh, developing the product has to be absolutely passionate. They should be aligned uh, to the vision, and uh, you know. And then you just, uh, when they are aligned, you just let empower them and let them run the show and believe in your team. That is that is one of the things. The second one is you have to be really brutal in terms of getting uh, understanding the product market fit and understand the value proposition that you're bringing to the table, and you have to keep questioning yourself. Uh, that it, you're not starting a company just to be that cool entrepreneur uh, out there, you know, but you're questioning yourself that are you really doing justice, not just to yourself, but to a lot of people who are going to spend time with you and they're going to believe in your story. So, so that, that is, that is one of the most important uh, thing. And the third is you have to ensure that you are, you are, uh, you know, cash flow sensitive. You're 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 not just out there to burn money, but you're always striving to make that entity a profitable entity. Whether you become a unicorn or not, and whether you become large enough, that is a problem that will get solved uh, along the way. But these three are things where you are always conscious, and that is how you are developing the entire and and the whole whole culture of the company has to be uh, developed in that particular way. And then you'll see that you know things do fall in place automatically. You you build end up you end up building a product that is not just specific to a particular region, but you end up building a global product. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.